0: Why don't we pray as we ought to? I mean, prayer can seem boring sometimes. (laughs) Like, shouldn't I just say amen? Are we done with this yet? Sometimes we think our problems are just too small to bother God, that he's so busy and he's got bigger things to be doing, so why should I take my little boring problems to him? Because, you know, he's got better stuff to do, and that might keep us from praying. Sometimes we might feel, Unworthy, and here's the truth in and of ourselves, we are unworthy. We'll never be worthy enough on our own. I mean, but we're always worthy in Christ. And truth is, since we are made in the image of God, He is longing for us to return home, if you will, to turn back to Him, to cry out and shoot our prayers up to heaven and call on God because he's not far from you and me. Maybe, and this is where I fall in when it comes to prayer, uh, much of the time, maybe we're just so convinced of God's sovereignty that we don't pray because we just know he's got this. He's got this, he's in control, he's good, he's going to work it out, and so, yeah, you know, I could pray, but but he's got it. Regardless our feelings, James tells us to pray. And I think he would tell us to pray until something happens. Now, I know you may not need another acronym in your life, but that comes out to P U S H, push. Pray until something happens. You'll see what I'm talking about as we get into James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. The Word of God reads like this Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. Right there in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? James says, well, let him pray. We know some among them were suffering (laughs) because the first sentences into James' letter, he acknowledges their trials and the testing of their faith, and then he spends much of his time addressing how Christians use and really ought to use their words when suffering. He said things like rejoice, count it all joy, (laughs) ask for wisdom, bridle your tongue, don't speak evil or slander others. And here in short, he says, if you're suffering, pray. Talk to God about it. And I don't think he's minimizing pain. He's not minimizing our loss, but he's calling Christians to take it to the Lord in prayer. Years ago, As a young man, as a corpsman serving with the infantry, I made a personal pact with myself. I would not jump on the proverbial bandwagon and complain. Man, I'm telling you. I found infantrymen big time complainers. You know if you if you don't have complaining Marines I'm not you know it's probably too quiet, you need to go find out what they're up to. I decided if I was going to complain, I was going to take my complaints to someone who could change the situation, or else I would just keep it to myself. I didn't think it was a good witness by jumping on that bandwagon and being like, "Yeah, man, and this is horrible, and blah blah blah, you know take it to the take it to the person who can change it. Or take it to the Lord in prayer because God can change our situation. The big lesson I began to learn, I say began to learn because I, I'm still learning this largely, is that God wants to change me. He wants to change me. In fact, he wants to change us and that's when I really started capturing this concept in First Thessalonians 5.18 when when Paul said to the Thessalonians, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Throwing my intent up, getting in touch with the Lord, and having faith enough in God's sovereignty and His plan that He was working all things together for good for me, and that good being that He was cultivating the character of Christ in me, taking my complaints, taking my suffering to the Lord in prayer that's consistent with james here if you're suffering pray about it is anyone cheerful he says well let him sing psalms that word let him sing psalms is actually one greek word and it could be defined as to pluck or twang and so here is perhaps some scriptural evidence that we ought to Do some country music (laughs) when we're cheerful. I don't think that's the case, but pluck or twang, it's interesting. It could refer to um, playing a guitar or a stringed instrument and praising God and singing songs to the Lord. And that's how that word's used throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's to just sing to the Lord. Use those vocal cords to communicate gladness and thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul said something similar in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, We ought to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So. Again, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When he says hymns, by the way, he's not necessarily saying the hymns that that you might find in your hymnal, in your church pew, because those songs, believe it or not, are contemporary. (laughs) They weren't around in Paul's time. The point is, we sing psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs about the Lord to encourage ourselves, to encourage one another. If we're cheerful, James says, sing psalms sing to the lord man in fact one of the things i like to do in my devotions and reading psalms in the morning is actually singing the psalms to the lord it's usually just the lord and i when i do that probably good for you but that's one of the things that that we can do in our devotions and he continues there in verse 14 is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I think it's important to note here that it's the responsibility of those who are sick to call for the elders. This doesn't mean family and friends and pastors and elders should be oblivious to our suffering, but there's no mind-reading app, right? If we're sick, we've got to call on somebody. James implies it's the Christian's role to seek others' prayers when sick. Yes, We may seek medical attention. It's not sinful or a crime to get medical treatment. But we shouldn't forget to acknowledge God. And listen, I think this is James' point. To acknowledge God and to invite others to participate in what he's doing in and through our suffering. He's always doing something in and through our suffering. He says, call them. And they'll pray over us. And he says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That, that anointing is is a Greek word, alipho. And I'm sharing that not to impress you, but to just explain something to you. Listen, well, oil, especially olive oil in ancient times and there in the first century when this was written. Olive oil in particular was used in the ancient world to treat many types of diseases and wounds. Kind of. Creeps me out a little bit because you know me. I don't like olives, and sometimes I can, I, you know, if food has been cooked with olive oil and it's really noticeable, I don't like that very much either. Apparently, it was a thing to to call on the elders of your church, or for people in general to apply oil in that day. Oil was used to treat many types of diseases and wounds. Anointing with oil, like smearing oil on somebody or something, was also used to mark something or someone set apart by God. This is where we get the word Messiah or Christ. It literally means the anointed one. That's how priests and kings were chosen. The prophet would pour oil over their head. Sometimes oil would be anointed on the right ear and the right thumb and the right big toe. Of the priest's foot as if to say you know perhaps everything you hear and do and wherever you go you bring the presence of the lord with you most of the times when this word alifo, this anointing is used in the new testament is used for soothing like for medicinal purposes for example luke chapter 10 specifically in verse 34 when the good samaritan takes that that injured wounded jewish brother on the side of the road And he binds up his wounds and he pours oil and wine on that person's wounds so we see there the medicinal purpose of oil sometimes oil was used for hygiene sometimes for hospitality if you were to go to someone's house it was hospitable kind to put some oil on your head and on your feet because we bring in our stinky bodies and our nasty feet because they didn't have showers as we do, and shoes and socks as we do today, things got a little smelly, and it was nice and hospitable for the host to apply oil, to anoint with oil. And uh, another word for that might be aromatherapy. However, to prevent the idea early believers were peddling essential oils, as it were, (laughs) Let's not miss James' very important point here. The elders are to pray and anoint with oil, he says, in the name of the Lord. When we're sick and we call on the leaders of our church to pray for us, they will come in, they will anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord, and they'll pray for us in Jesus' name what it means in the name of the lord when we do something in the name of the lord it means they will do this as if jesus himself was doing so as if jesus himself was there present with you applying the oil and praying that prayer for your healing and that's a really important Part of this verse to, to help us differentiate between just apl- coming, you know, the elders coming in and applying oil just for medicinal purposes or out of hospitality, but the connection with the oil and prayer and doing that in the name of the Lord and asking God to be present and to heal. Look, anointing others with oil is not a Pentecostal thing, it's not a charismatic thing, it's a Jesus thing. And when Jesus sent out the twelve apostles, for example, he sent them out in his name. And it's written in Mark 6, verses 12 and 13. It says they went out and preached that the people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed a lifo there, they anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Again, it may have just been A first century thing that when they showed up they not only did spiritual things but they 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 applied first century hospitality but I think it's more than that look at the context casting out demons anointing many with oil who were sick and healed them this was connected with God's supernatural response to prayer anointing the sick marking them as belonging to Jesus or noting the presence of the Lord upon that person. And he says in verse 15, it's all connected here, the prayer and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here's my first question for us with regard to the text. What is the prayer of faith? Well, it's not having faith in faith, I'll tell you that much. I think it's the prayer that believes God heals the sick and forgives our sins. Thus begs a second question. Whose prayer of faith saves the sick? Is is it the elder's prayer or is it the one who's sick praying? God only knows. (laughs) It's his healing power. It's his forgiveness to give. We really shouldn't take this to mean sickness as the result of sin, although that that might be the case. God knows. Even John tells us in 1 John 5 that there's sin that, that leads to, to death, and not all sin leads to death. But if we see our brother sinning a sin and he's not dead yet, we should pray for him. I think James' point here, first of all, is that we ought to seek the prayers of others when we're sick, And second, anointing with oil in conjunction with prayer in the name of the Lord is not limited to the apostles. It's not limited to the apostles. Invite others to participate in prayer. Anoint with oil. Pray in the name of the Lord. And pray Pray until something happens, man. Keep pushing. Sometimes we're inclined to to pull. And I know we could come up with a s- snazzy creative acronym for pull, right? Like pray until the Lord loses. <laughs> I'm going to pray my, my will until the Lord gives up and I get what I want. I don't think that's that's God's intention here. I think we, we pray until something happens. And we just keep seeking God's face and His will to be done. Pray the prayer of faith seek the lord and then confess in verse 16 he says confess your trespasses to one another that word confess is from the root word which means to say the same thing in other words call sin sin call it what it is agree with your brothers that hey here's this thing in my life and it's it's wrecking me and then pray for one another he says that you might be healed Look, God will forgive us when we confess our sins to Him. He says, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is, however, something powerful about sharing our struggles and our failures, as James says, to one another, especially when we know they will pray for us. Choose wisely, right? you've ever shared your struggle or something you're going through with somebody else who wasn't really worthy of that information, and you you realize that because they took that information and then beat you over the head with it? That's happened to me, and that was one of, I remember specifically when that happened to me, and I remember a very valuable lesson I learned that day, that not everybody is worthy of my stuff, but many are worthy. Of my vulnerability, of my transparency, of going to them and say, Hey, I have you know, this thing is going on and this is hard for me, and and um will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. In fact, man, let me tell you what's happening in my life and this thing is wrecking me, crippling me as well. Being vulnerable and transparent fosters healing and deliverance. You wanna know why? Because secret sins fester And confessed sins heal. Secret sins fester. Confessed sins heal. A lot can happen when we confess to one another and we pray for one another. And he continues. He says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much that effective, fervent, at least it's translated that way in the New King James, it's actually one word, energeo, which looks like the word energy, and we need to be careful when using interlinears and looking at languages and stuff, because sometimes they may resemble English words, and we assume that that's what it means. But This word, energeo, is often just used as, it's tra- often just translated as working. It's like, The working prayer of a righteous man avails much, or the prayer that works. There's something powerful about sharing our struggles and failures with a person who not only walks the walk, but also pleads the righteousness of Jesus Christ—not his or his or her own righteousness. I mean, a person who's living righteously. There's a confidence that comes with that. But the person who walks the walk, talks the talk, and claims Jesus' righteousness, this is a person, more often than not, who may have prayers that seem to work, if you will. Those people seem to have prayers that work. And James seems to infer that our elders are the kinds of people who have that relationship with the Lord. And he says, call on them. Call on them. Let them pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and praying for you. Speaking of the prayer of a righteous man, as he says, that, that kind of prayer avails much. James mentions a person his audience would have been familiar with, a man named Elijah. In verses 17 and 18, Elijah, he says, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It's encouraging to to consider Elijah was a man with a nature like you and I. That's encouraging for us, should be, at least, as we read in Scripture about Elijah and we we look at this man's life and his prayer on that mountain with the prophets of Baal and uh, the dead raised to life and meager resources multiplied and stretched out I mean God moved in this this man's life supernaturally powerfully and yet James in the context here of prayer is saying Elijah was a man like you and me. He had a nature like you and I. He had the human experience. He, he had wins and losses, successes and failures, highs and lows, expectations and disappointment. He had faith and doubt. In other words, Elijah wasn't perfect. Yet God honored Elijah's prayers, working them into his divine plans. Really what we get to do in prayer, we can kind of partner with God. He knows what we're going to pray and ask before we ask it in the case of elijah he heard elijah's prayer he held back the rain for three and a half years and then he told elijah hey go and 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 uh, see see the king because uh, i'm going to make it rain again and and he had that competition with the prophets of baal and the lord showed up fire from heaven he was powerful and then Elijah went up on the hill and he, he just kind of curled up, but it says he put his head between his, his knees. He just kind of got really low and, and prayed. And eventually a little cloud rose up from the sea, turned into many clouds and then, man, it rained. It rained, man. This is James' way of saying, just pray and pray until something happens. Just keep pushing, keep going at it, man seek God's face, pray until something happens. I often liken prayer and the experience of prayer and partnering with the Lord and with others in prayer is kind of like being a forward observer. One of the things that you you know, you can do as a reconnaissance man is being a forward observer. You do a lot of looking, a lot of reporting. And when you when you are one Person or four persons on the side of a hill somewhere, very small in comparison to to the masses of, of soldiers and enemy that that are out there in the battlefield. But you can throw up that antenna, man, and get comms with with uh, aircraft in the area, or artillery, or naval gunfire, and and tell them using your eyeballs and that map and your radio, telling them where to make their rounds land. And when they hit their target, of course you're gonna tell them to fire for effect. It means keep on shooting right there for maximum effect. Keep going for it. And then if you're a good, if you're a good person, <laughs> uh, what you'll do is you'll give them not only a, a BDA, a battle damage assessment, you'll tell them where the rounds landed, but with some enthusiasm. Because when you're arty and you're you're throwing those rounds down the tubes and those mortars, some of those rounds, man, can go for miles. And those guys seldom get to see the impact of those rounds, of those shells and where they land. And that pilot, man, when you see them wings level and they're not aimed at you, you clear them hot and they drop that 500 pounder, 1000 pounder on that target. As they drop that round and and they go back up into the sky, maybe they look over their shoulder hoping to see where their round landed. A good forward observer will enthusiastically tell them, "Yeah, you got them. And all seven tanks in the open obliterated, completely gone. Troops gone. Well done. Come back. And do it again <laughs> if necessary. That's, I think, what it's like in prayer. Man, we we pray. I pray for you. Come back and let me know, man, how my prayers may or may not be hitting target because if they're hitting target, that's encouraging for me to know because I, I, I want to pray more. I want to fire for effect, if you will. So James says, when you're suffering, push. Just pray until something happens, and pray until something happens in you, because that that's the work that God is really interested in. He's going to get to them. He's working on that person. He's involved in those circumstances, but He wants to do something in you and me. Knowing what we know now, because James previously told us in his letter, we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials because our faith is being tested and and when our faith is tested and it passes the test it leads to endurance the kind of endurance that equips us to wait on God and then we ought to ask God for wisdom to know what we should do and say in the meantime and More often than not, that might look like bridling our tongues and turning our complaining into prayer. So when we're suffering, push. Pray until something happens in you, in me. When cheerful, sing to the Lord and watch Him add to your joy. When you're not feeling well, don't just reach for that Tylenol You know, at at the first inkling of of a headache, man, I'm reaching for Tylenol and Motrin. I'm pounding. I'm not. You know, I don't receive any kickbacks from these companies, by the way. But you know, don't just reach for that medicine. Reach for your phone. Ask others to pray for you. If it's if it's really bad, I don't know how bad it has to be for you to. For you and me to call on our elders but if it's bad enough call someone like let them know how sick you are and those in the church who've been walking with the lord ask them to anoint you with oil in the name of jesus and to pray for you pray a prayer of faith and then expect god to do something watch pray Expect God to do something. Pray again, pray until something happens. And finally, confess your trespasses to one another. Call sin sin. Take God's word and take God at His word that He will forgive your sins when you confess. If He heard Elijah's prayers, He will hear you and me when we earnestly seek Him. And so pray until something happens and then fire, (laughs) fire for effect.